It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hey guys, what is going on? I'm your host, Jake Tribby, and I've got Scott Barrett here to discuss, well, pretty much any fantasy topic we want. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm I'm doing great, Jake. Thanks thanks for having me. Really really proud uh, to be uh, the first ever guest on the uh, Jake Tribby show. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really happy to have you. Show still doesn't have a, a working title yet. We're we're figuring that out as we go. But um, you know, I figured I'd ask you some fantasy questions. We could really um, you know delve deep into the the, the fantasy pits. And, um, you know, Kyle what Pitts. better player? Yeah, maybe Kyle Pitts. We'll, we'll see. Um, but what better to play? What better player to start with than Kadarius Tony? He had a minor knee operation. And, you know, Fantasy Points doctor Edwin Porras speculates he's likely going to need another surgery at some point this year. What's a fair price here in best ball tournaments? Because I'm having a hard time figuring out what to do with Tony. Well, in best ball tournaments, we know upside wins championships in general, but in best ball, traditional best ball, it kind of pays to play it a little safer, grab the straight ADP values, but things change dramatically in, let's say underdogs tournament style format where you have to, you know, advance through the playoffs and ideally come in first out of, I don't know, 600,000 teams, whatever it is. So you really want these power law players, players with immense upside relative to ADP and Canarius really stands out to me. All of my best takes over the years were the takes I got the most heat on. Oh, you're an idiot. They're tagging old takes exposed. All of my best players I've hyped up were players everyone else was too scared to make a pro argument in favor of. And so I I love Kadarius Tony this year. Uh, really believed in his talent. Uh, flashed in just about every... Uh, metric that that matters to me, yards per route run on a very small sample, targets per route run, missed tackles, force per reception. And I was so excited this season because for one thing, everyone was hyping him up. Brett Veach, who's not a liar, by the way, in 2018, Brett Veach said, Patrick Mahomes is like the best player I've ever watched practice. And he only had one NFL start to his name. And then boom, he had one of the best seasons of any quarterback ever. Uh, and so he nailed that breakout. And it seemed like he was trying to do that again with Kadarius Tony. It was like, this is who we want to be our leading uh, wide receiver. We think he's our wide receiver one. He can do that role that we like so much, you know, in the slot, manufactured touches, schemed production. He's a freak after the catch. And we're bullish on his upside as a deep threat. He didn't do that much with the Giants, but we see a lot of potential there. And so everything was indicating that they were envisioning a, like the Tyreek role for Kadarius. And like that's a huge role, especially th- those manufactured touches. Uh, last season, the Chiefs had 12 touchdowns on shovel passes, which was like almost three times as much as the next closest team. If Kadarius could get just like 60% of that, that's huge. And again, I, I believe in the talent. Obviously, the risk, you know, bearing the lead here is, well, he's always hurt. He's already hurt, but we just had a report come out last week. I think it was, or a few days ago, I think it was uh, Jeremy Fowler saying the Chiefs still believe that, 
or hope that he's going to be their leading receiver. So they still have him in mind as their wide receiver one. They think he's going to be back for week one. And his ADP is in free fall. I, I don't know where it lands, but this is like the ultimate Scott Barrett player for me, like upside wins championships. What, whatever his ADP is at, I want to grab him around earlier, especially in a tournament style format. FFPC leagues, underdog leagues, for sure. And like even in my own leagues, I, I'm going to have 100% exposure to this guy. And I know he could absolutely burn me, but uh, that's just the sort of player I like. I think we should talk about Sky Moore too and Justin Ross, but any thoughts on on that very long monologue from me? No, I mean, I, I totally line up with you right now. His current price wide receiver 46 on underdog, got an ADP of 94.2. I mean, I've seen a lot of drafts where he's falling into the the low hundreds and I'm, I'm grabbing him every time. I mean, you can't, the upside's undeniable, like you said. Um, but, you know, Sky Moore, I think, um, you know, definitely worthy of some discussion. i Saw a beat report a couple of days ago. Um, Chiefs beat writer said he wouldn't be surprised if Skymore led the team in receptions. Um, he's really creeping up there. I think last I saw on DraftKings ADP right around 95. Where are you comfortable taking Skymore? So that's the issue. It's like 95 is also a great value. Like that's a sick value. Uh, this is John Hansen's one of his top three must draft players. I, I'm not. I'm a Kadarius guy, but like I could easily see a pathway to league winning upside. And it's just that. Kadarius is can't stay healthy. He's never been healthy. He's always hurt. He's already hurt. And so you remove Tony from the equation and boom, it's Sky Moore is the starting slot wide receiver. He's in line for that role with manufactured touches, scheme production. And that's a super valuable role to be in. And what's his target competition? MVS, Justin Watson, those are NPCs. Like, like I am not threatened by that. I don't think Sky's uh, an absurd talent, but like, I think he's better than both of those names. I think the role is better. So he could easily be a league winner. Um, to me, it's just, it seems like they want Kadarius still, even still to be their wide receiver one. I think he gets that slot role if he's fully healthy. They trust him with a full-time usage. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a great value in his own right. And you know me and like underdog drafts, I'm trying to take Justin Ross in, in like the last few rounds in every single league I'm in. So like, I, I think all three of these wide receivers are severely underpriced. And last season was just a total aberration where Juju and Hardman, I think finished like as mid wide receiver threes by fantasy points per game. This is a juggernaut offense. This is the best quarterback in football. And so I, I don't see any reason why Patrick Mahomes can't support the overall tight end one, putting, pushing up, you know, mid range wide receiver one numbers. Another wide receiver top 12 fantasy points per game wide receiver and then another wide receiver top 24 like that makes perfect sense to me so i i i love the value uh, on all of these guys tons of upside as well and this makes me like patrick mahomes a lot more as well like if you're talking about an underdog tournament draft just stack them up you, you can take kelsey round one you can take mahomes round two and, and just kind of hope they go nuclear during the fantasy playoffs uh, the value is 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 really there to me yeah, I mean, you look at those top three quarterbacks, it's much easier to stack Mahomes than it is um, Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts right now. Are you at all considering like taking Tony and Sky Moore on the same team in a best ball tournament, or are those kind of separate plays for you, separate bets? I think you can just because the value is there, but but to me, it does make more sense to to pick one and, and pick whichever one. It doesn't have to be Tony, but I, I think that's where the I, I see some redundancy there to uh, Sky Moore versus Tony. But again, like the health is a serious issue. Like Edwin 
our injury expert over at fantasy points is like way out on Kadarius. I've talked to some other names too around the industry, but uh, yeah, I just, I just see that, that upside and I get excited with Justin Ross too, like another guy with medical issues. It's just, I think he's better than Sky Moore. I think he's way better than MVS and Justin Watson. And, you know, Andy Reid could be stubborn. He could be slow with his younger players. I just think this one's a little too obvious and it's only a matter of time until he's uh, a starter. That might not be like week until week six or something, but uh, definitely, definitely really bullish on him. Like one of the greatest prospects ever if you just throw out the medicals, but those medicals were rough. Yeah, it's not a Scott Barrett podcast unless we talk about Justin Ross. Is there a price for Justin Ross where you would pump the brakes at all? I mean, he's been a huge riser with, you know, the recent training camp videos. He's looked pretty good. And obviously everyone, you know, Justin Ross and Scott Barrett go together um, pretty well. So I think people have been pretty anxious to take Justin Ross uh, now that we know he's, you know, probably going to make the roster. This is how you win basketball leagues. Like I'm friends with Aaron H. Who's like the greatest basketball player of all time. He actually doesn't mess around with tournament style leagues. He just plays not non tournaments, but he like, he returns like a 50% plus win rate every single year. And he does thousands upon thousands of drafts. He's just like absolute legend. He's like first few rounds. I don't really deviate too much from ADP, but when you're talking like the last four rounds of a draft, I go all in on guys. He had 100, literally 100% exposure to OBJ, his rookie season. Uh, and he he gravitates like I do towards those upside guys. And it's the, if you get, if you, you're eating zeros from a last round pick, it doesn't mean anything because you probably have six wide receivers. So the chance anyway, so the chances of him, you know, cracking your starting lineup were low. So why not get a guy who can produce a power law outcome and like be a starter and really move the needle. And so that's sort of what I see in Ross. He's just one of my guys. So I, he's someone, I, if ADP continues to rise, I'll just, just keep trying to get him before everyone else. Yeah. Current, current ADP wide receiver, 78, uh, 183 ADP going ahead of Paris Campbell, Devonte Parker, uh, Richie James. Um, you know, I'm more than fine taking him there. Um, but you know, I could see him moving up at least another couple rounds by the time September rolls around. I think, I think Parker's kind of nice in a, in a best ball. Like he doesn't have the, oh, yeah. that upside. It's just like guaranteed production, guaranteed ADP value. Um, he had multiple games over 20 PPR points last year. He's got, you know, some single game upside. I have a lot of Devonte Parker. He he was really good by yards per route run and some other stuff as well. Um, I think it depends a little bit on the structure of your team like if you're stacked at wide receivers justin ross would make more sense if your wide receivers a little flimsy i think parker would make more sense yeah yeah i'm I'm with you there um let's riff a little bit about some of the major handcuff running backs um ideally we keep this a little quicker because we got a lot of guys to go over um jerk mckinnon curious on your thoughts here i know um uh Daneric Prince, I believe is his name, getting a lot of camp hype right now. People are talking about him um, potentially eating into McKinnon's role. Does that uh, does that bother you at all? I mean, McKinnon's you know going right around one fifteen on both uh, major sites. Where how are you looking at that? So Chris Wecht nailed it last year. He Jarek McKinnon made me so much money in DFS because Chris was just like, hey, I was looking at snap shares and uh, 
for some reason, like McKinnon is only playing on 40% of the snaps, but he's getting 80% of the red zone snaps. And I'm just like, boom, done all in 3,800 price tag. And like, so he made me so much money last season in the fantasy playoffs. And then we were talking about drafting him in our best ball show. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. I just don't think he does anything until like really late in the season. I think that's what the chiefs want to do with their usage is like preserve them until the last few regular season games and the playoffs. And I'm like, well, that's like an amazing argument for him in the underdog playoff format. And then a beat writer came out, it's linked to in, in some of my articles, a beat writer came out and said like, that's their plan with him. It's like, all right, well, he he's a great pick for uh, underdog tournament style leagues. And then even in redraft leagues, like he's a feather in the cap of all zero RB drafters because he's probably going to, if that's their usage they have in mind, he's probably going to be a free agent in like week eight. You add him week 10, ideally he gets that bell cow usage and it could be a, a juggernaut for the fantasy playoffs. He could be a starter. He averaged what, like 20 plus fantasy point, points per game over his last seven last year. So um, yeah, I, I, I like him. I, I don't think he's a player you need to draft, but uh, unless in underdog tournament, but, but I, I like him. Yeah, he's been a major tournament target for me. 25 and a half fantasy points per game from week 14 to week 17. His uh, red zone touches um, doubled uh, pre-buy. He was at 1.4 red zone touches per game. After week 12, he was at 2.7 red zone touches per game. I mean, just elite uh, end of season usage. So I'm pretty excited about McKinnon too in in, in tournaments. Um, Khalil Herbert, where are you at on him right now? It kind of looks like a split between him and Deontay Foreman for the RB1 spot in Chicago. Well, he's not a handcuff. He's a starter. Mm -hmm. And there's a compelling bull case argument just that he was arguably the most efficient running back in football last year. And so all you need to consider is the Bears come to their senses, use him as a bell cow, and he's awesome for fantasy. Unfortunately, I think the most likely argument is it's like a frustrating now potentially three-way committee with Roshan Johnson. You can call it a four-way committee with Justin Fields. And so there's really not a ton of upside there. Uh, Last year, David Montgomery was the RB29. Herbert, again, most efficient running back in fantasy, RB46 in fantasy points per game. So uh, not really a target for me, but, but I definitely get the arguments there. I've been taking a little bit of him. I think the single game upside there could be a little compelling, but um, I've been leaning more into our the next guy we're going to talk about, Elijah Mitchell. Um, where are you at on him? I feel like he's got pretty strong standalone value plus um, you know, low-end RB1 if Christian McCaffrey goes down. Um, obviously, health is a concern, though. Yeah, he, he just kind of frustrates me because like, if he didn't exist... I would have so much McCaffrey 101, but because he exists, you know, I actually have Eckler above McCaffrey. Um, yeah, I, I, we saw the splits last year. He had a valuable role. He was getting the bulk of the carries alongside McCaffrey. He was getting the bulk of the rushing work near the end zone. Uh, so I, I do see standalone value. And then, of course, like massive upside if McCaffrey, who, who has had a lot of injuries, were to suffer another one. So, yeah, he's a fine handcuff for sure um where are you at on jerome ford he's a guy that i've been hyping up 
quite a bit this offseason. I mean, Nick Chubb has never been over, you know, about 62% of backfield usage. Feels like there's a pretty big chunk of the pie available to Ford this year. Um, but he also pulled his hamstring a day or two ago. Um, you know, seems like he'll be fine for week one. But yeah, curious where you fall on Jerome Ford now that his ADP is in the 160s. Yeah, I love him. Uh, people forget in 2021, prior to Kareem Hunt's injuries, he was a top five fantasy running back. He was outproducing Nick Chubb. Uh, and so, Hey, if, if he just gets the Nick Chubb role, that's a really valuable role. I, I do think Chubb is in line for more work this year, but it's like, he still has the injury upside. If Chubb were to suffer an injury, you could argue that Ford would see better volume than Chubb would, you know, with competing against Ford. So, uh, definitely could be a league winning bell cow in the case of an injury. Their team seems pretty high on him. Yeah. And I mean, he's pretty good. He's a lot better than washed Kareem Hunt was um, last season. So I think that's another thing to remember with Ford. Uh, where are right. you at on Jalen Warren? I have not found myself taking a ton of him in the in the 140s. Um, yeah. Really curious on your thoughts. Yeah, I think he's an interesting uh, handcuff for uh, the reason that like of all these players, like he's the only one I could see winning on talent. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I don't see Elijah Mitchell like. Uh, becoming the RB one if McCaffrey's healthy. Same for Ford, but Warren, you know, could theoretically beat out Najee. Seems like the team soured on him at least a little bit. He was really good last year. He keeps getting hyped up by the running back coach. Uh, and I, I, standalone value, I, I kind of see a committee. Mike Tomlin was always the bell cow guy, but he said last season he stopped uh, being in charge of running back usage. That's now the running back coach. Uh, and then we saw even with Najee, like healthy and more effective in the second half last year, it was way more of a committee. And like I said, the running back coach who's in charge of that usage just keeps hyping up Jalen Warren. Where are you at on Zamir White? Yeah, I, the argument for him is easy. It's like I had so much James Conner the year that Le'Veon Bell held out. And it's kind of like the same thing. I really don't think like, I mean, that was stupid of Bell. I don't think Jacobs is stupid. I, I don't think he has any leverage. I don't think Zamir White is good. I I did like James Conner as a prospect. Um, I don't have too much of him, but I mean, like that's that's like a really compelling argument for tournament style leagues. It's just hey, like what 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 if Josh Jacobs continues to hold out? What if he quiet quits at the end of the year? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that is pretty compelling. Um, Next guy, so Gus Edwards, we're recording on August 9th. Um, Gus Edwards left practice early today with an athletic trainer. Uh, word is it's unclear what happened. Assuming he's healthy, though, um, you know, obviously J.K. Dobbins' health, um, very iffy, plus the contract situation. Um, I really like Edwards. Uh, where are you at? Yeah, I think he's the best name you've mentioned thus far. He's basically Elijah Mitchell plus Amir White. J.K. Dobbins is holding out. He might be hurt. He's always hurt. He's missed more games in his career than games played. He's never been a bell cow. He's always been a committee guy. We've seen Gus Edwards effective and scoring fantasy points. So he has that standalone value. He has that upside. The likelihood for J.K. Dobbins to miss games is probably higher than just about anyone else. So he's he's by far the best value of this bunch. Yeah, I've found myself taking a ton of Edwards. I'm I'm over 20% on him. One of my highest done running backs this year. Uh, these last two guys are available at the tail end of DK drafts, which run 20 rounds. Um, Keontae Ingram and Keyshawn Vaughn. I'm curious if you have a, a strong preference there. Um, yeah, who's the who's the better season long outlook? Uh, Keyshawn's gotten more hype. They said 
if Rashad White were to miss time, we fully trust Keyshawn to be our do-it-all back. So he's a clear handcuff. Keontae Igram, I, I don't think Arizona even knows who Connor's backup is. I think he's competing for that role. So he feels thin to me, at least for now. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the roster, though, it's Corey Clement and uh, Tyson Williams uh, competing with Keontae Ingram. I mean, I think that's a battle that Keontae Ingram wins pretty easily, but he could also, you know, lose that pass game role to Clement. And, you know, a guy like Keontae Ingram in one of the league's worst offenses getting 14 carries a game. I mean, how much is that really worth? Um, Not too sure. Uh, Brock Purdy, he's currently the quarterback 23. He's a guy that you've been all over this off season. Um, where should he be going in drafts? Uh, I don't know. A few rounds earlier, at least. Uh, last season, he ranked eighth in fantasy points per start. If you include the playoffs, he ranked fifth in fantasy points per drop back. That was above Patrick Mahomes and just about like every other quarterback on that list. You know, they're being drafted in the top four rounds. Um, he's the guaranteed starter per uh, Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter, they've been saying that for months. He's the best offensive coordinator, the best supporting cast in football, extremely safe. Uh, only nitpicky concern is like, what if they have Trey Lance in a sort of Taysom Hill role? But um, no, I, I think he's a, a mortal lock to to smash his ADP. I just don't know that he has league winning upside, but hey, you know, the value's there. Um, would you feel comfortable taking him over Kyler Murray, QB20? So Kyler Murray's interesting. Uh, He's another like sort of like Kadarius type player where I find myself arguing in favor of perhaps because I'm the only one making that argument and because I'm getting heat for it and it just fuels me. But uh, I I like it. I I like it. He, in best ball, it's trickier. Like I like him a lot more in start sit where you can weather the... uh, well, where, where he's probably going to be a free agent because he's going to miss the first few weeks of the season. You kind of like don't want to eat too many zeros in best ball. Um, but basically, he ranks third in fantasy points per game over the last three seasons. The counter argument is, okay, he has uh, this ACL and he's going to miss a few games and he's not going to be as effective as a runner. Like you look at mobile quarterbacks coming back from ACL, the run less the following season, but it's not really a lot if you dig into the numbers and there are outliers. Deshaun Watson, the second half of his sophomore season, when he came back from that late season ACL, he averaged over 40 rushing yards per game, which was like easily a career high. The rest of the time, I think he was at like 29 rushing yards per game. And so the the fact that he could be an outlier, uh, yeah, makes me pretty bullish on, on Kyler. Um, there's also concerns, obviously that Arizona is in full tank mode, but I mean, I, all that kind of feels priced into me. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty reasonable, especially at QB 20. Um, you know, definitely some upside to be had with, with Kyler, especially in the second half of the season. And that's, um, that's when the, the points are more important in this fantasy playoff format, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. Ryan Heath's aging curve research clearly demonstrates that it's an uphill battle for rookie tight ends to produce. Are you at all interested in Dalton Kincaid, Sam Laporta, Michael Mayer, or Luke Musgrave at cost? Uh, not really. <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel like a boomer, but I don't have a good argument outside of just, hey, like this never happens from rookie tight ends. Like Evan Ingram was like the one outlier 
And, uh, you know, it wasn't even like that great of a season. Um, but with Don Kincaid, you could argue, oh, he, he's actually not a tight end. He wants to be their slot. Uh, but what I'm hearing out of Bill's camp is he, one, he looks amazing, but he's also not getting a ton of snaps with the first team offense. They rank like dead last in 12 personnel last year, and that's going to jump, but not enough for him to be an every down player. Knox is good. They gave him a lot of money. He's still going to be their starter. They trust him more. Uh, Sam Laporta and Luke Musgrave are also two guys like really getting hyped up in camp, like day one starter, every down workload. They look amazing. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Like TJ Hawkinson didn't do much with the Lions. So why do we think Laporta's going to do a lot? And he had to go to the Vikings before he, you know, earned uh, his draft capital um, and like be a smash hit for fantasy with uh, Musgrave. I mean, like that one Robert Tunyon year, uh, Rogers isn't there anymore. I don't know. I, I you, I'm not going to fault you for taking any of these guys. I, I just don't find myself going that route. Yeah. I mean, in best ball drafts, I'm really only looking at Kincaid and Laporta and stacks. And outside of that, I mean, it's, um, feels pretty thin to me. Um, which giant slot receiver scores the most fantasy points this year? Oh, I have absolutely no idea. I'm not drafting like any of these giants just because it looks like such a mess. And we've seen Dable go with committees, like heavy committees, at least with the wide receiver three. Um, I don't think even they know. So like, why, why am I trying to gamble on this? I'm just avoiding. I think what would be sickest is if it was Cole Beasley. That would be really funny to me, oh, uh, be, but it's probably not be Cole awful. Beasley. What do you think? Yeah, I've taken, I mean, I've taken some shots on Paris Campbell, but I mean, it's, it's so gross. I'd much rather just take Slayton. Um, like Slayton to me feels like the best value out of the group. Obviously he's not a slot, but the slot situation's so gross that, yeah, why are we, why are we gambling on this when we can just grab Darius Slayton at pick 200? Um, all right. So now it's time for what should be my favorite part of the show. A lot of people know Scott as one of the greatest fantasy writers to ever live, but not nearly as many people know the depths of Scott's soul as I do. So I've come up with a new segment to fix that. This is the Scott-ish Inquisition. Um, so Scott, uh, it's time for some personal questions. <laughs> what is your biggest real life fear? Uh, I'm afraid of commitment. Really? Unironically. Yeah. Unironically. Yeah. You've, uh, you're, you're currently in a long-term relationship. Are you not? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I guess you're doing pretty well with that then. Yeah. So I far, fear. so far, this is, this has done really good. Uh, but historically, serious commitment issues. I really wanted to get tattoos, but I would just never just because like such a commitment, you know, mm -hmm. I actually, uh, uh, when my dad died, he had this, uh, Marine Corps Eagle on his arm as a tattoo. And I wanted to get like an Eagle tattoo on my chest. And I like showed it to my sister and she was like, I think that's a Nazi tattoo. And she like called it, <laughs> they were at a party. She called a bunch of her friends over. They're like, yeah, that definitely looks like a Nazi. I was like, all right. So like, uh, glad I didn't go that route and have that on my chest for the rest of my life. But yeah, um, very, any, any can't do it. What, what about you, Jake? What's your biggest fear? Um, I'm really scared of the open ocean. I have a lot of, I have a lot of fear regarding the open ocean. I'm very scared of sharks. Have you ever heard of the USS Indianapolis? No. Okay. So this was a ship that crashed 
um, or was actually sunk by a Japanese torpedo. And I believe it was somewhere around 600 sailors were left in the in the open sea for three days. And like 30% of these guys got eaten by sharks. They were just floating around, getting munched on by sharks. I mean, that's like, that actually is the scariest thing I could, I could possibly imagine. Um, what's your biggest fantasy football fear for 2023? Oh, boy. It's, um, it's not being wrong. It's not being like embarrassingly wrong. Like Tony gets hurt on the first play of week one out for the year. That would suck. I'm not, I'm not that afraid of it. Um, it's not Justin Ross just being terrible or like one of these guys I hyped up just being terrible. It's, it's like a guy I, I'm not high enough on, but who I, given a lot of thought to like one of these players who are tricky to rank, like, like Miles Sanders theoretically should be one of my guys. He's, he's a, you know, going to be a bell cow. He's supposed to get like 40 guaranteed catches. Uh, you know, we, we saw a lot of success from Carolina running backs last year. The offense should be better. And I just can't bump him up. And so I think that something like that is just, you know, like, oh, I should have, should have had him higher. Something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I I get that. I think that's understandable. Mine is definitely Anthony Richardson being Trey Lance. Um, that would uh, that would that would lose me quite a bit of money. That would be pretty pretty upsetting. Right. Um, okay, so this is a question from future football writer of the year Ryan Heath. Wow. Um, in his major pieces this season, Scott's explained how he sees the quarterback landscape and the running back landscape somewhat differently than in years past. Why is he choosing to side with the recent data of the last year or two over the full body of data going back 10 to 15 years? Right. So it really entirely comes down to where the value is. And to me at the running back position, I'm just seeing a ton of value in the middle to late rounds. You know, like Rashad White, ADP is absolutely stupid. James Cook, James Con, a bunch of guys like that. And so if that's where the value is, and I feel really good about these guys and like, I'm doing my rankings and I'm like, you know, I, I like my RB 13, but I, I really don't see much difference from him as I do some of these other names. So I just go where the value is. Uh, and I'm also open to the idea that, you know, Hey, uh, Patrick Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks ever. Josh Allen has like a similar arm and does stuff with his legs. Jalen Hurts has the most fantasy points per start of any quarterback in NFL history and Lamar Jackson ranks second. And so I get that with um, running backs too. It's like, there's a lot of like making the top 12 running backs. I mean, like, I don't feel good about any of those guys. I don't have a high level of confidence when I deviate from ADP. I don't feel great about any single one of them. And, and there's all these like it's not just the data. It's also the fact that when I did my post-draft presser review, every team that drafted a running back in the first three rounds said, yeah, you know, like the age of the bell cow is over. Uh, you need a committee these days. You, there's that extra game at the end of the schedule. These guys get a beating. They're more injury prone than other positions. Uh, and we want them healthy for the playoffs. So, and like all the, we, we got like, J.K. Dobbins, Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Taylor potentially holding out. So I think this is a, a fairly unique year. And and the fact that, you know, I'm seeing this value makes me feel comfortable kind of embracing it. 
Yeah, I think it's important to remember, like when we look at the season on the whole, that it's a lot closer to like a DFS slate where value isn't, you know, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's completely relative. And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the way that you've laid things out in your articles makes makes a ton of sense in terms of how we're, we're viewing overall strategy this year. Um, all right. Well, guys, I really appreciate everybody joining us for the inaugural episode of a show that does not have a name yet. Um, we will be back next week, though. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com. Fantasy Points.